Total Soccer Show and our weekend review. In Granada, things were looking fine for a US team that ran up a Brazil versus Germany scoreline. England <laughs> brought their Euro qualifier point tally to six, while France opened up their bag of tricks. Spain sent Norway back to the fjords, and Scotland left Cyprus completely flawed. And of course, there's plenty to make of the league that don't stop for no international break, because St. Louis got yet another lift from yet another defensive gift. Atlanta's absences were more than a few as they got pummeled by the crew. And Charlotte haven't come swinging out of the blocks, but at least Weeby was wearing socks. My <laughs> name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who ain't in Kansas anymore, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I am not. It's good to be back on the East Coast, but I did enjoy my time in Missouri and Kansas, respectively, uh, even if maybe Sporting KC fans did not enjoy the game uh, on Saturday night, in which Jordan Morris decided to go Hulk and score four goals and be early. Holland and remind us all that uh, he was once and maybe once will be in consideration for the USMNT. I don't think I can ever go to Kansas City. I've never been. I've heard it's lovely, Taylor. But unfortunately, whenever I hear the words Kansas City, all I can think of is Fred Durst on a live Limp Biscuit recording going, Kansas City Limp Biscuit Committee. You <laughs> must be the only person in the world who makes that connection. Uh, may, maybe Fred Durst does, but aside from him, uh, I like that that is the thing that's precluding you from making a visit to the yeah. barbecue cafe. That's, that's the thing. That's the thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I do, I'm a Carolina barbecue oh stand, obviously, as uh, well. By the way, Ryan, uh, though I am loath to give credit to North Carolina for many things, I agree. That is Thank that is my preferred style of barbecue. Uh, Kansas City was excellent. Enjoyed, enjoyed the burn ends. Enjoyed the brisket and the ribs. I will still take a Carolina barbecue sauce all day, every day. There you go. Just a reminder, if you ever wonder where I get inspiration for my intros from, it's the superb rhyming skills of Fred Durst, City and Committee. There you go. All right, well, I got to go. <laughs> so I'm going to head out. Uh, joining us instead of Taylor, uh, a man whose <laughs> lower league fan-owned team's doing a lot better than my lower league fan-owned team, Grant Ruthven. Howdy. Hi, Ryan Bailey. Where, genuine question, where are you in the league? Not doing so well. Are you so, fighting relegation? Or? A few weeks ago, pushing for playoffs. Uh, now, uh, haven't won in 11 games. Not looking good, mm. Graham. Mm. That isn't ideal. That no. isn't ideal it, for, for a football team with the, the general aim of winning matches. That's not what you want. Correct. I also think our pies are pretty decent at mm-hmm. the moment. Wimbledon pies, from the video, you, the Patreon video that you did, look pretty decent, but they're not chasney donner pies like they have at sterling albion at the moment so i think we might have the beating of you in that regard as well you probably have the beating of us in uh, soccer regards as well i'd imagine if these two teams were ever to face off graham it's a, it's a sad state of affairs at wimbledon who who if things continue like this might be switching places with wrexham uh which won't be very much fun to drop out of the league but i think we hopefully mm. will be able to turn that around depressing stuff for me but good for you your team's doing good graham well done well done. yeah club and country scotland won as well oh we didn't win actually sterling Albion. we drew it's two two damn it i knew that the, the both teams couldn't yep. win at the same time that's that's not allowed big two two draw with dumbarton look at me knowing the team you're yeah. playing everything hey hey i'm paying attention mm. uh j- joining us today graham a man who has a little more on his plate these days than antonio conte is that true joe well, I have ketchup on my plate for one thing. Conte never has that That's on his thing. plate. So, I mean, yeah. that and now Conte is out there looking for work, and I, I am still employed. So, I guess on multiple fronts, between ketchup and a job, Conte, you can, you can, you can suck, you can suck it. 
Oh, whoa! whoa. Flames! Flames whoa. coming from Joe Lowry's microphone right now. Goodness whoa, me. It's Antonio, it is indeed. Uh, Antonio Conte's departure, of course, announced from Tottenham Hotspur late on Sunday evening European time. Christian Stellini in place with Ryan Mason for the rest of the season. Ten games to go. Julian Nagelsmann reportedly lined up potentially for that role. Maybe has done already by the time we finish this recording. Who knows? Uh, but we shall talk more about that later on in the show. But perhaps... Taylor Rockwell, why don't we start off with a look at the USMNT's 7-1 win in Granada, the first competitive game uh, for the US since the World Cup. A pretty darn good result for the USMNT, pretty darn good result for me because I bet the win and both teams to score. Um, Now the US only needs to draw against El Salvador to reach the Nations League finals in June. That game coming up uh, this evening on Monday as we record, Taylor. Your first impressions of this game, you can't be grumbling about a game in which your team scores seven goals, right? Uh, No, and I won't be. That was was a heck of a game. That was, I think, it wasn't unexpected, but I was still surprised by how efficient and like sort of just direct in their attack the United States looked from the jump I really enjoyed how they kept the ball they moved the ball but then they were direct when they needed to be I thought Luca De La Torre was excellent in sort of turning and playing forward as required but then also recycling when needed and I just thought the U.S. were pretty ruthless they put balls in the box they took shots they took on defenders Uh, we've seen them be sort of slow to start and especially given that this was a team that I think was more the reserve team with an eye towards a stronger team against El Salvador I still think we had a lot of strength across the starting 11 um, and I thought even some of the placement and some of the sort of tactical decisions from Anthony Hudson were excellent so yeah U.S. gonna win the World Cup in 2026 Uh, I'm excited that we now know that for sure uh, provided we only play Granada home and away all the time. There we go. Yeah, nice. Well, who, who knows in this expanded World Cup, to be fair? <laughs> that could be the case. They probably yeah, played Granada at least three times in this format. You're quite right there, Graham. Graham, uh, what did you make of this one? It seemed like Granada came close to equalising. They hit the post when it was 1 0 and then kind of fell apart from there. Yeah, I don't think they were up to much at all. And quite frankly, I don't, I don't know if we learned anything from this match other than Granada really aren't up to much. Uh, but we kind of already knew that. Yes, they scored. Yes, they hit the post. But the the defending from them throughout was frankly shambolic. Um, there was absolutely no pressure at all from them, which just made things so easy. And the US didn't really have to worry about yeah. things like recovery shape. And I know Luca De La Torre faced a little bit of criticism for losing his man for the goal. But I honestly think that just comes down to concentration and not really having to concentrate for the full 90 minutes. So... It was a complete mismatch. There were there were things that I liked about it. I liked that that um, US attack in terms of the profile. I liked uh, Pulisic, Reina, and Aronson behind uh, Ricardo Pepe. Um, I I thought Christian Pulisic played a, a a good game down the left side, where a lot of the US's play came th- uh, came from came through. Yes, as again the standard of opposition was very low, but he was moving it very quickly. The decision making was quick. His 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 crossing was really good, which isn't something we can always say about Christian Pulisic. But he was getting good depth and good whip on his deliveries, and and he obviously notched a few assists. Uh, so yeah, plenty of things for the US to be positive about. But I think that El Salvador game is going to be more of a more of a test, more of a yardstick. It is, yeah, for sure. And we'll talk more about that as the week goes on. That game, we'll, we'll have some discussion of it on the feed tomorrow. I will say I wanted to have fun when I watched this game. Like, that was my goal coming into this window in general is to have fun, make sure the U.S. get to the Final Four of the Nations League and and check the boxes, but mostly have fun along the way because 
to be honest, th- this game, especially against Grenada, El Salvador is a much, much better team than Grenada. I mean, this one was never going to be a competition. Like, Graham, you know, this this game was always going to be lopsided in the way that it was, and I think you, you kind of pointed that out. There's not a ton we can learn here. But my biggest takeaway is that no one got hurt. The U.S. got the job done. And as far as an individual player thing goes, it was seeing Gio Reyna. Like, I think that is that was the big thing that people, other than the Balogun news, that continues to bubble to the surface as time goes on, and maybe we'll hear more about that over the next however long. You know, outside of the Balogun stuff, the Gio Reyna storyline was always the biggest because he's the most talented player that the U.S. has. And so getting him on the field from the jump, the vibes looked good as far as I could tell. Like, players seemed to to be getting along. I don't think Gio Reyna was particularly very good in this game. To be honest, I thought he was fine. He had some moments that make you realize, yeah, this kid's really, really good. But then plenty other moments where it was really Pulisic dominating the game and Reyna sort of fading into the background. But in general, I thought it was encouraging that Reyna played. I thought it was encouraging that the team functioned at a basic level around him and, and used him and integrated him. So I don't think it was flawless. And, and I don't think there was ever going to be a ton of tactical or you know, major stuff that we were going to learn from this. But the fact that Gio Reyna was on the field on Friday and, you know, was a part of a functioning team, to me, that is a positive step after the uncertainty of the last few months. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it will be interesting to see what role he plays, how much he plays in the El Salvador game, and what his sort of reactions off the ball are like, because I enjoy watching goal celebrations just to see if we can glean anything from them. He wasn't really involved in the goal celebrations. I feel like he was sort of like, yeah, okay, we scored. And as much as I would love to read more into that, it did sort of feel like after you've gotten a couple goals pretty early, you don't need to celebrate that hard. Uh, I did enjoy Weston McKinney and Christian Pulisic's choreographed celebration. I don't know what it was about, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, But I think Giorena against El Salvador, I think we'll see more of his importance and his technical ability, as Joe talked about. But just also, I think if there is a goal, I would expect there to be slightly more enthusiasm for it. And maybe we see some more team-wide celebrations with him involved. Joe, you said said we're going to talk about that game on the feed tomorrow. If people wanted to hear us talk about that game before listening to that show, is there a way they might be able to do so? Whoa, what a plug. So Taylor and I will be doing a a live watch-along in the Bleacher Report app for this El Salvador game. So this is a, a sort of a new thing for us, and it's sort of a new thing for our, our working with Bleach Report. So we're excited about this. We'll come talk about the game. You can come chat with us in the comments. You can come leave us, us nice things and all that good stuff. But we'll go through the game and big moments and, and just sort of talk about what we're seeing and big takeaways from the window, the match, player side, team side, coaching side maybe, Balogun side maybe. We'll get through mm. all of that stuff mm-hmm. as the U.S. plays El Salvador tonight. There better be a shoey. Uh, yeah, actually, listen, Graham and I are also doing a watch along for that game, but we're just doing it like on FaceTime with each other, just, yeah, just for fun. Yeah. And we're watching yeah. Succession. Oh, correct. <laughs> yes, that's a priority for this evening, Graham, indeed. And now, now, Graham, obviously, the priority for this USMNT team is the target ahead, the World Cup 2026, but the real target ahead is landing Balogun, isn't it? And uh, <laughs> this this whole this whole uh, cycle seems to be all about him. He's been in a pool splashing some people. He's been to Pup's Pub. It's been a very, very exciting time. Do you think, uh, have, have we progressed on this story at all? Do we think he was watching this match or was he too busy touring Florida's professional sports teams, teams because I saw he was at an Orlando mm. Magic game? Um, was he in Tampa as well? I don't. I actually don't know what teams are in Tampa. Do they have a team called the Rays? Maybe yep. he was at one they of do. those games. Yeah. 
Anyway, he seems to be a big fan of American sports, or he's just a big fan of teasing people on social media, and I'm leaning <laughs> towards the latter, because uh, it very much seems like he is, at this moment, reading between the lines, it seems like he is leaning towards picking the USMNT. Seems like he's maybe not too happy with some things with England set up. He pulled out the under-21 squad with a, an injury. Then he he made an Instagram comment, like a bumper sticker comment about going somewhere you're appreciated after not being picked for the senior England squad. Gareth Southgate made some comments basically saying that England can't be so arrogant as to just... Actually, I kind of was a bit confused in his comments. Did he say they can't be so arrogant just to hand out caps or, or just assume that every player wants to play for them? I think it was maybe more of the latter. But anyway, it very much seems like Balogun is in play for the US and I don't know whether it's during this window that he might d- declare, but it, it feels more and more realistic that he is uh, a feasible option for the US. We're recording today with him having uh, what like removed any post of him wearing an England shirt is is what I read before we started recording. So who knows? It does feel like it could all be gamesmanship. I also think if he didn't watch the entirety of that game against Granada, I won't hold it against him because it was the type of game where once it's 4-0, it's like, ah. Yeah, I get the gist of it. Like, I can't imagine him sitting there really intensely watching it be 7-0 and then 7-1. to uh, So hopefully he watched some of it and enjoyed it. It does seem like he's enjoyed his time in and around the team. Uh, I don't know how much, like, close contact there has been in terms of training and actual discussions about him joining up. But I think it's been a good sort of passive recruiting session for the U.S. Uh, it yeah. does seem like he is leaning towards the U.S., but we've seen that before. Who knows what will happen? Uh, either way, the U.S. won, so I'm happy. One one of the rules in Gerard Piquet's Kings League is there's a masked player <laughs> that comes on every so often, and the rumor was that one of those players was Javi, Javi Hernandez, Chicharito, right? Even though he's injured for the LA Galaxy at the moment. I like to think that that's how the U.S. recruit players, if, if they want to kind of keep them, you know, they, they don't want to unveil them yet. They have a masked player who comes on and per- participates in training, so maybe Florin Balogun was the masked player. So, Je- Graham, you can't drop a sentence like Gerard Piquet's Kings League without explaining what it is. I only found out what this was a few hours ago, but it fits the camp new over the weekend right graham can i get my uh, just like the very quick tldr for people who haven't seen it it's um it's what happens when a millionaire football can't have a midlife crisis and buy a car (laughs) so he instead buys multiple sports competitions is that basically the gist yeah essentially and insert shakira comment here as well um yeah uh, see the balloon world cup take away the balloons and just put in a football and that's essentially what the king's league is it's like a twitch thing with uh, influencers and and i'm sounding like i'm 100 years old right (laughs) yeah it's a twitch thing you do sound very old right now a Twitch thing with influencers, is it? I think it's on Twitch. I, th- I think that's the the extent of the Twitch. The Twitch. But who play? Though. Who play? Who are the players? Like where so, they like former players or just other professional players they've picked up from a lower level. I think, and some of Gerard Piquet's celebrity mates. I think the is, third is Paul the brother that no one talks about. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Joe laughing at me. Someday everything will be old and young and scary it will to you as well. It will be. I know. Don't worry. I know. Yeah. Just today's not yeah, that re- day, baby. <laughs> really enjoying all the Gen Z posts about how podcasts are dead and no one wants to do a podcast anymore. I'm just like, all right. All right, youngsters. I don't need that from you. Settle down. Settle down. Yeah, get this thing on Twitch and we can be a Twitch thing as well uh, in, in Ryan Bailey's words. <laughs> no. Okay, boomers. Okay, boomers. Anything more on this uh, Granada game yeah. before yeah. we move on? I'll, I've got a couple I'll, things. I'll go Joe, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I think... I think it was it was interesting to me to see it was a mixture of the established guys and sort of the newbies, right? So it was almost split like down the middle where, well, not really. It was split like in thirds where the back line mm. was very much the experimental group of players that are trying to make their way into the core. 
the midfield, De La Torre and McKenney and, and Reyna sort of picking up various spots throughout the game. Not really a double pivot, not really a single pivot. It kind of depended on the moment as to what that looked like. But those two players are pretty well established. They're both at the World Cup. And then the attacking line, with the exception of Ricardo Pepe, you know, are all sort of there already. They've already sort of arrived in the U.S. system. Although, I've got my eyes very closely on Brendan Aronson because I think he is in real danger over the next year or so of being surpassed in the U.S. depth chart. But we can talk about that another time. All that to say... I thought it was interesting that we saw that divide. And really, I, I wasn't particularly impressed by any of the newcomers. Like, I, I don't think any of them, with the exception of Alejandro Zendejas, who came off the bench and scored a really nice left-footed goal in the second half. And that's that's sort of like the second or third time that I've been really impressed by watching Zendejas. Second in a U.S. shirt and a few other times for Club America. You know, I wasn't really impressed by Brian Reynolds. I wanted to be. I wasn't really impressed by Daryl DK. I wanted to be. You know, it was too small of a sample size for us to draw any major conclusions really about any of these players. But uh, other than Zendejas, really, I didn't leave thinking, okay, this guy is is eager and ready and effective enough to make the jump today. Hopefully we learn more about that stuff against a more informative opponent tonight against El Salvador. Uh, a couple of little things for me. I largely agree with what Joe said. I would say Joe Scally at, at left back was uh, a player I enjoyed watching, largely because against a team like Granada, I, again, I think historically the U.S. will ultimately slow down and just keep the ball and get comfortable in possession, and maybe they win 3-0 or 4-0. And I like that Joe Scali, you could see the level he plays at when he comes into this team. Just He kept the ball moving very quickly in the first 15 minutes. It was a lot of one-and-two-touch passes, except when he decided to go on a run, and it felt like he picked those opportunities pretty well. Uh, so I liked seeing Joe Scali at left back, and I enjoyed left back depth. Uh, so he was, he was solid, I think, but again, against the opposition we're talking about, who knows what we can really make of that again I think also intangible moments like Ricardo Pepe scoring that first goal and then really clearly loving the fact that he scored and it meant a lot to him I think and 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 just maybe exercising some demons there whatever it may be uh, I, I think some of the celebrations some of the reactions from the players I think was like getting a weight off their chest and so that also uh, made me pretty happy just to see the way the team sort of rallied and it felt like enjoyed this game from start to finish. Excellent stuff. All right. Uh, yeah, the game, as we say, uh, between USMT and El Salvador taking place in Orlando on Monday evening as we record. Taylor, the over-under on the amount of times the camera cuts to Balogun uh, in his executive box being fanned by someone having grapes fed to him by Alexi Lalas. Maybe, does he, does he um, you know how Michael Scott declares bankruptcy? I declare bankruptcy. Does he stand up at half time and declare for the USMT in a similar fashion? That, Ideally. I- the thing is, like, Joe, uh, Joe, Joe, let me ask you, would you actually like that? Because it, it does feel a little bit like I hear you. I know you were very excited about Balogun. I know the U.S. fan base is very excited about Balogun. And justifiably so. It's a player that England maybe should have called in, maybe should have given an opportunity to. Is scoring a, bu- a bunch of goals. I just I, I also can't help but like not love that he sort of was like, I'm out of here and bailed and came here and is now going to join up. I hope we're not like the the rebound national team is, I guess, what I mean. And so if he's there front and center at halftime like me, this guy, I don't know if we're starting off on the most humble of notes with Florin Balogun. I would love to see him shown a couple times, you know, just being there, enjoying the game. I guess I'm guessing we'll get two to three cuts to him uh, in, in this one. Ooh. But if the entire halftime spectacle is, he's doing it. He's putting on a U.S. jersey. He's going to be ours. That's great. It's also establishing a lot of hype very quickly, uh, which is fine. But then when he cut, plays in this first game and doesn't score in the first 40 minutes and everybody's like, this guy, this is the guy we are hyped about. That's where I think the enthusiasm of the fan base can turn pretty quickly. 
I'll I'll fly to Orlando to put the LeBron James decision style press conference together for him. So I think I think people know. Joe where goes I stand the on other this. way. Joe goes I'll, the I'll other way. I'll fan him. Like I'll I'll do whatever it takes. I think I think he's that good. Um, and it's also true that like I I will also not be one of those people that's angry that he hasn't scored in forty minutes because that's not because mm-hmm. I know that's not how soccer yeah. works. I know not everybody's in that camp. So there are differing expectations here, and people are going to be angry when we've all anointed this guy as the best number nine the U.S. has had in a long, long time and he doesn't come out hot and score a bunch of goals, or he doesn't score a goal every single game. But, I mean, I can't, I can't change those people. But I can set up some chairs and a nice little table with a banner for Balogun. So I'll, I'll start with that. Very nicely done. I'm taking the over on over three cutaways, by the way, Taylor, but we'll see how that one goes. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's look at Euro qualifying. We need to look at MLS. And, of course, the Conte, Nagelsmann, Tuchel, whole thing that's going on with coaches right now. Back shortly. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willingly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's turn our attentions to the European continent, where Graham Ruthven, France, had a big win over the Netherlands. A 4-0 win. Very impressive stuff from Le Bleu, reminding us that they were in a World Cup final a couple of months ago. Yeah, they're still good. Um, And it became clear from very early on in this match that France were going to blow the Netherlands away. They were 1-0 up by 2 minutes, and 2-0 up by 8 minutes, and 3-0 up by 21 minutes. And at that point... I thought it could it could get quite ugly for the Dutch, and I guess 4-0 isn't pretty, but France were just destroying them in transition, and the Netherlands were playing into their hands. And in that period that France scored their first three goals, 
the Netherlands had 70% possession and it was a good case study on how possession doesn't always mean control because they were completely out of control at that at that moment. France were just picking them off at will. And for France, um, as the scoreline suggests, plenty of positives there for them. This this was a good evolution for them since the World Cup. So Mike Mignon is the, is the new number one goalkeeper. Hugo Lloris has retired. He made some good saves in this match, including one from a free kick, which was conceded in a very peculiar way by Aurelien Chouameni, who noticed that the ball was a little bit flat. And instead of indicating to the referee, just picked it up on the edge of his box and <laughs> conceded a free kick to the Netherlands. As I say, Mignon made the save from that free kick from Memphis Depay. Uh, Upamecano and Kanate looked pretty solid. So Rafael Varane is in international retirement as well. And then Kolo Moani, I thought, was a really good fit up front. Karim Benzema is obviously uh, retired as well. He has been excellent for Frankfurt since the World Cup. I'm pleased we we got to see him start. He just adds to the sense that if you're an opposition team, France are just sending an entire attack running at you when they're in transition. Um, and it was just way too much for the for the Dutch to 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 cope with. The France were uh, clear and deserved winners in this one. Graham, I have a question for you about Moani and and sort of about the French attack as we move forward because sure. it was easy for me to see how Benzema and Mbappe work together, right? You're going to lose some defensive work because Mbappe doesn't really track all the way back. We see that for club. We see that for country. But in the attack, at least, Mbappe is going to bring the speed. Benzema is going to do some of the work underneath, but can also get forward and they can combine together. I think that pairing worked very, very well, even though it was not a traditional strike pairing. Usually Mbappe shaded more to the left and Benzema more central. How, mm-hmm. What's your read on how this works with Moani now? If he is the next guy, yeah. I know he's got some size. I also know from watching him in the Bundesliga that he likes to slash him behind as well, maybe more so than Benzema did or, or, or would do now for Real Madrid. So how did how do you envision that working going forward in even more games for France? It's a good question because that was one of the main questions bef- before kickoff, before, ahead of this match with Cole Moani and Mbappe in the same team and Griezmann in there as well and Coleman on the right side as well, so a stacked attack. And that was one of the things I found most impressive about Cole Moani in particular was, as you say, he has that sort of same vertical instinct as Mbappe with his movement. But in this match, at least, the two of them didn't get in each other's way. So Mbappe would drift out to the left, Kolo Moani would be the option in behind in a more central position. And then there were other times when Kolo Moani would be going over to the left, Mbappe would be more central, Kolo Moani was making decoy runs quite often for, for Mbappe, which is key to getting him into space. Of course, there, there were other times when he was when Kolo Moani, Kolo Moani was fo- following in on shots, Mbappe was having shots from the edge of the box and Colo Moani's following, following them in. I think that's actually how he scored one of his goals at the... Or did he only score one goal at the World Cup? He certainly scored at the World Cup in that manner by fo- following in a shot. So I think the two of them work quite well together. I, I agree and it's not quite as neat a fit as Benzema was with Mbappe, although a lot of French fans would actually say Benzema and Mbappe didn't work that well together. And I think Antoine Griezmann is key to making that whole unit working because mm. he was excellent again in this match. He scores after two minutes. He has just enjoyed a career renaissance that I didn't expect from him six months ago. He's currently probably the best player in La Liga as well, so he's carried that over to to club form as well. And he just offers you so much as a third midfielder, a hybrid sort of midfielder and attacker who can support the attack, but then get in midfield as well to maintain possession. And he, he just gives you everything at the moment, creativity, control, movement. So I think you take Griezmann out of that team, maybe the Kolo Moane and Mbappe strike partnership doesn't mm. work so well, but that unit works very well, at least on the basis of this match. 
Graham, a question for me. Uh, the Dutch, I believe, will at least get a playoff spot because of Nations League play. How worried should they be overall, though, with this being like Ronald Koeman's sort of debut this time? It doesn't go well. They're missing a ton of, or not a ton of yeah. players, but at least a few players. So there are injury concerns there. But I think for some youngsters to come in there, and then we saw what like Kenneth Taylor get substituted in the first half, probably not the way he wanted this one to start. No, absolutely not. And I imagine Leuven Howe was watching this match with glee, knowing Leuven Howe. Uh-huh. Um, I, I saw a statistic that he's never lost by cl- uh, three clear goals as Netherlands manager, and France were three goals up after 21 minutes of Ronald Koeman's uh, first match of his second spell as national team manager. You're right to mention the players that were missing, so in particular, Frankie de Jong, not in this team, Matthijs de Ligt as well. And I think if you put de Ligt alongside Virgil van Dijk instead of uh, Gertruda, that is a, a much more certainly a defensive line that's more it's, it has a better chance of handling France in transition because Gertrude looked very very vulnerable to just any sort of pace in this game. But you're right, it's not a great start. It kind of feels like they're at the be- beginning of I'm not going to say a like a rebuild, but certainly an evolution of this team where you have people like Kenneth Taylor coming in. I know Joe's a fan of him, yeah. but also um, Zavi Zavi Simons coming into this team who it feels like maybe Coleman. Coleman had a history of this in his first spell as Netherlands manager. He will accelerate, he'll fast-track players who are maybe not warranting a call-up on the basis of their club form quite yet, but he has a sense they're going to be important for the national team in years going forward, and I think that's the case with Xavi Simon. So it is a team in transition. They will have easier matches, obviously, than this one in their qualification campaign, but this is a very rough start for them. Uh, several 3-0 scorelines to report on. Belgium with a 3-0 win over Sweden, with Zlatan still very much in the Sweden front line. Uh, in Malaga, we had Spain getting a 3-0 win over Norway. Uh, Josselu with score, was scoring twice after the uh, 80th minute to seal the win, Graham, for the Spanish. And uh, Norway missing something. Something missing from their <laughs> formula? Just a little thing? Yeah, they were, they were missing that goal-scoring robot who surely would have taken one of the chances they created in this match. And that's the first note to make about this game. The scoreline does not reflect how this match went at all. In fact, I thought Norway were, were pretty impressive over the 90 minutes. They faded towards the end. Spain had options off the bench, like Yossalu, who I believe scored the quickest double for, for a debutante Spain player ever. Um, something like four minutes he, he scored two goals in. Um, Norway just didn't have those that, those options, but Odegaard he was very good. He he um he grew an influence over the course of the match. As I say, if Haaland's on the pitch, if it's him instead of Alexander Sorloth as as the centre forward in this Norway team, I would bet that Norway score at least one in this match. So it, yeah, as I say, score scoreline slightly deceptive for Spain. The big positive for them was basically having a plan B, something resembling a plan B, because that was always the accusation made of Lucho was his teams played good technical football with loads of the ball. But when teams bunkered, they they frequently struggled to break them down. And that's what Norway did for large periods of this game. They were effective in quick transition as well. But then De La Fuente, he made, he made three changes in particular. So Aspas, Gavi and Olmo came off. And then Oyarzabal, uh, Jeremy Pino and Danny Ceballos came on. And Ceballos in particular just made a big difference. He was more involved in possession play than Aspas was. Aspas kind of struggled in this game as a, a sort of number 10. Um, didn't really have much involvement in the game, but... Yeah, 3-0 flattered Spain in the end, but the the way the second half panned out, I think, highlighted how they're going to change now that De La Fuente is in charge. There's going to be more pragmatism. Wonderful stuff. Taylor, you catch this one? 
Uh, I did not. I'm I'm excited to hear Graham talk about it though, because I know that he he loves a veteran striker coming in and scoring goals, and Hossalu doing just that. Graham, you talked about the, them having a plan B though. Is that an ideal plan B for a, a veteran striker <laughs> to be the guy who can make the difference? Um, not ideal, but it's better than nothing. I would say. I mean, Hossalu is playing for Espanyol in La Liga. He's a decent enough, a serviceable sort of La Liga striker. You will get maybe double figures out of him. Um, in a season I think Newcastle United fans are a little bit confused that he's now in the Spain team because he was not very good for them <laughs> but um, yeah it's better than nothing as I say it's just it's it's we're going to see more pragmatism from Del Fuente where even though he maybe doesn't have the players necessarily he is going to use them in, in a different way and I personally think that's probably a good thing for Spain they were maybe a little bit too idealistic under Lucho. And Graham, though Spain win 3-0, they are not top of the table. I'm assuming that you are super comfortable with your position and you feel like that's 100% where Scotland will finish? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Scotland with a, a three, also a three new win over Cyprus. Um, Graham, a tight ten seconds on Scotland, please. We've got things to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on! At least give me twenty seconds. I, I, this is, I this have, is my moment. I have questions. I have questions for Graham. I, I think this is a very interesting Scotland team, and I think Steve Clark did some interesting things. Okay, so what's what's one of, what's one of your questions, Taylor? All right. What? Why did Scott McTominay not start, but then he comes on and gets the double? Because Scott McTominay has previously been used as a as a defender by Steve Clark in a back three, but right now we actually are pretty well set for defenders. He was playing there because we basically had no centre backs, and now we do have a few decent centre backs, and our midfield is just is just well set. So I don't think Steve Clark likes Scott McTominay at the base of the midfield. So Ryan Jack is 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 more able in that position. I think he's not a controller either, um, Scott McTominay. So Cal McGregor is better in that position. And he's not John McGinn because nobody's John McGinn. Um, mm. So Dang right. it's just a it's it's just Super it's Scott. just a case of the team. I mean, if he was a you know if he was a right winger or something or a centre forward at that at Scott McTominay's level, if that makes any sense, he would probably start for Scotland. But it's just the way the, the team is built. But he is a good option to come off the bench, and I actually like how Steve Clark pushes McTominay forward a little bit more than maybe at, at Manchester United level, which I know is a contradiction because Steve Clark either, either uses him in central defence or uses him as an attacking figure. But I think that's a good use of Scott McTominay, actually. I was also pretty impressed by how Steve Clark managed to get uh, all of Scotland's many fullbacks onto the pitch at various points and yet still made the system work. It does feel like this kind of 3-4-2-1 is a, is a good way for him to get, say, Kieran Tierney and Andy Robertson yeah. on the pitch together. I'm not kidding. That that is the whole reason we use that system yep. is to get Tierney and Robertson on on the on the same team, and not just Tierney and Robertson, but also Aaron Hickey, who is I know yep. he's playing right back for Brentford this season and doing very well, I should say. But he is more comfortable on the left as well. And we've got Josh Doig, who's doing well in Serie A. He's a left back. He's not in the squad currently. So absolutely, that system is built to try and get as many of our good players into the team as 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 possible. I think Scott McTominay is actually a casualty of that. If we play the back four, maybe he comes into the team. But Tierney and Robertson, it's worth changing the system for those two. And then my final question, I told you I had multiples. Uh, <laughs> if you said that maybe Norway would have done better, likely would have gotten one with Erling Haaland on the pitch, which Scottish player should we start calling the Scottish Erling Haaland so that he does score in this game and you do feel better? Lyndon Dykes. Okay. I want Lyndon Dykes to be the Scottish Erling Haaland. I mean, you know, very different sort of personalities nope. and exact players. Exact same player. <laughs> exact same player. But if we could turn Lyndon Dykes into a 50-goal-a-season striker for Scotland, yeah, that, that would be quite helpful for us. All right. We're on it. We're on it. Just by calling him that nickname, I think we should be good. 
All right. Uh, Scotland's uh, starting a Euro qualifier campaign with a win for the first time since 2006. And Graham, Spain up on Tuesday. This is a game for which you have a ticket you won't be using still, right? No, I'm using this one. Okay. <laughs> so I had a ticket for Saturday's game, which unfortunately right. clashed with the Stirling Albion-Dumbarton match because we've had so many postponements. We need to fit the matches in somewhere. So that was unfortunate. But yes, I have a ticket and my seat will be filled with uh, my backside on Tuesday night. Marvelous. Does anyone else feel like there's a slight chance that it wasn't actually Sterling Albion that Graham went to see, but instead like another Disney on Ice performance and he's just covering <laughs> he by saying it was Sterling Albion? <laughs> he can't get enough. That's where Scott <laughs> yeah. McTominay was. He was skating on exactly. ice. Exactly. <laughs> Repeat performances. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yep. Yeah, exactly. Need, needed to see more of Tinkerbell. <laughs> You're just watching the first two seasons of Succession to get ready for, for this one. Well, I also it? did that. Yeah, I bet you did. I bet you did. Um, Wales with an excellent point against Croatia. 1-1 that one finishing. A 93rd minute equaliser for Wales. Showing some life after Gareth Bale are the Welsh very good stuff oh England 2 Ukraine nil. how about that Harry Crane yeah. and uh, Harry Crane Harry Kane and Bakai Saka with the goals in this one some 400 days after Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine this one taking place plenty of Ukrainian fans in the seats at Wembley Stadium as well uh, pretty perfunctory win for England this one yeah. I thought Graham um Yes, the Italy game I found a lot more entertaining because it was literally a game of two halves in which there was a bit more challenge in the second half. This one, um, a little bit, felt more like England qualification to me. You also found the Italy game more entertaining because it was Italy. Yes. I saw your tweets during that game, and I, I was, I was praying for that second Italy equaliser to come back at you on Twitter after you were gloating a little bit too prematurely in that match. But yeah, England deserved to win that match as well. This was comfortable for them over the full full ninety minutes. Although actually, I thought Ukraine did a decent job for thirty five minutes of of stopping England from creating much. The the low block was working well. And then it was breached through the brilliance of Kane and Saka, who combined for both goals. And the dynamic of the match changed with that 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 moment. And after that, England are just in control. It got a bit flat in the second half, but that was kind of a game state thing where that actually suited England. They didn't really need to go and press for that third goal. So six points out of six. That is probably England at the Euros, in all yeah. honesty, uh, because these are two of the most difficult matches that they will have in this campaign. So that is certainly a good start for them. Very good indeed. Uh, I don't tell you if you've seen in the English media, Bakayo Saka is the new saviour. He's the new Messi. Uh, he's going to lift this England team for the next 10 years. I'm being a bit facetious, but he was very, very yeah. good in this game. Yeah, no, I mean, and he of, should be I, right up until he gets a tattoo and then they don't like him again. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, of course, that has always worked out for yep. the English football media <laughs> yes. in the past. Yep. yep, build him up, build him up, tear him down. Ryan, like, <laughs> I, I suspect I know your answer to this, but uh, with England uh, being joyous, scoring all the goals, topping their group, do you do you care at all about the Balogun news and about Balogun potentially playing for the United States instead? Or is that just sort of like, yeah, he's our potential fifth choice striker. We'll be fine. Bless your heart, Taylor. Yeah, that's what I figured. <laughs> that's what I figured it was going to be. Because it, it, it does feel for as much as, as this is a big story for the United States, and justifiably so, given his form this season particularly, you look at the, the talent England have and how they're never going to lose a game again and they'll probably win the Euros for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and, I, and I see how that's not necessarily a thing that they would be concerned about now. When Balogun wins the World Cup in 2026, though, do you feel like you'll sing a different tune? Uh, will he have declared for uh, Nigeria <laughs> no, by then? Nigeria at that point, yes. <laughs> Spain, Spain need a plan C. I mean, it could go that way as well, right? Who knows? Who knows? Um, it's still good. It's still good. We don't know what happened in the El Salvador game. Maybe he gets really frustrated that he wasn't shown enough on television and he jets off to Nigeria. And we, we, we have another drama on our hands. 
Indeed. All right, a couple more games to discuss from Europe. Uh, Iceland getting a 7-0 win over Liechtenstein. Beware the Icelandic team uh, in this campaign, evidently. And in that same group, Portugal with a 6-0 win over Luxembourg. Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, uh, his 197th appearance for Portugal, a world record. Two more goals to his tally as well, 122. He just keeps going, Graham. He keeps going. Yeah, so four goals in two games for Ronaldo over this window. He's now got 11 goals in 11 games against Luxembourg alone. So remember I said last week that I swear Portugal play teams like uh, like these all the time. It seems like I might have been onto something if he's played 11 games against Luxembourg over the course of his international career. And and actually, quite surprising he's only got 11 goals in those 11 games. I would have put the, put the watermarkers over that. Yeah. Do you think he knows where Luxembourg is on a map? Could he point to it? Um, um, is it a is tax it near haven? Saudi Arabia? <laughs> is it a tax haven? <laughs> <laughs> good, good answers, both of you. Oh. Both, yeah, we're both getting at the same thing, I suppose. There, uh, <laughs> uh, one other game, by the way, that was uh, very much outside of Europe, but there was a friendly between Morocco and Brazil this weekend. I don't know if anyone caught this. It was two-one win for Morocco here. Brazil's first game after the World Cup. Morocco have had three African Nations Championship games since the World Cup all of which they lost by a 3-0 scoreline to Sudan, Madagascar and Ghana. So very much a return to World Cup form for Morocco in this one. And my, I think my understanding is that Argentina should go number one in the FIFA rankings after this result too. Did, did anyone, speaking of Argentina, did anyone see their yes. sort of homecoming um, yes. as world, uh, world champions at the River Plate Stadium, the Monumental that, which was just incredible. So there was a clip going around on social media of, I actually don't, does anyone know what the anthem is that the Argentinian fans are singing? Um, whatever it is, they all know the words to it, including the players. It's a tre- and, Tres Leones, I think they call it. Right. And and so the fans are, are singing that at the top of their voice. Was that a joke there? That didn't <laughs> <hit>? <laughs> Three yeah, lines. Probably. Three lines. Oh, okay, said. right. My Spanish isn't up to <laughs> scratch there. Okay. Ah, oh, Falkland, Falkland <laughs> Islands joke there. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's it's just incredible. There's no like DJ or music or hype man or light show or anything. It's just fans singing at the top of their voice and Messi kind of singing along with a grin on his face and Emmy Martinez crying. And yeah, it's just quite a scene. Yeah, it was very, very impressive, wasn't it? The whole stadium looked uh, like quite the place to be for the Argentines uh, for that game let's take a quick break when we come back let's talk mls let's talk a little bit about the uh, managerial shifts at bayern and tottenham also nwsl's back baby let's talk about that too back shortly total soccer show welcome back taylor rockwell during your trip to kansas city lit uh-huh. committee did you take in any major league <laughs> soccer I did. I saw them play host to the Seattle Sounders. I refuse to acknowledge your Limp Biscuit reference. Uh, and I was cautiously concerned. I wouldn't won't even say optimistic. The atmosphere was excellent, even with Kansas State losing, I think, one minute into this game. And there were a lot of Kansas State fans not in the supporter section yet because they were watching the conclusion of that game in March Madness on the big screen. But they did filter in. It was a raucous atmosphere. Uh, Kansas City scored, and it felt like, okay, things are turning around. And then Jordan Morris did Jordan Morris things, I guess, uh, scoring four goals in this one. Uh, That's and a new definition of Jordan Morris. Yes, exactly. Things, really. uh, and for me, uh, <laughs> watching with two of my, my college buddies who I had told before we started that I wasn't sure how good Jordan Morris was. I felt like he had lost a step. I didn't think he would do well as a central striker in this system. Did note that <laughs> Seattle missing their two starting, or their starting striker, Raul Ruiz Diaz, 
then Ebert picking up an injury. So he's out. So it makes sense why Morris played here. And he, I guess, heard me and got really annoyed and scored four goals and looked pretty lively and really good with his attacking movement and making runs when he needed to, but battling for balls when he needed to and just was an ever-present threat for a Sporting KC team that went down to 10 men uh, with Ben Sweat being very confused why he got a second yellow card for, like, attempted murder of a Seattle player. I feel like that was a pretty justified second yellow. Um I would say worrying signs for Sporting KC fans. Johnny Russell comes in, the entire crowd very excited for that, but then he showed his rust. I would expect he'll get back to his usual, but it was definitely a game to forget for Sporting KC fans. Indeed. Uh, let's talk about that. We've probably buried the lead here. Um, Joe, we should probably talk about St. Louis and their fifth win in a row. Uh, Klaus with a brace here. At least one defensive gift yet again for St. Louis here. I'm- How does this keep happening? How does this keep happening, these back passes? It's a conspiracy, Graham. Don't you know? It's MLS <laughs> colluding to make uh, St. Louis the story of the season. We all know yeah. that. Of course. Uh, of yeah, course. I've, there are so many um, apparently legitimate conspiracy theory threads that I've read over the past few days. <sighs> Joe, you're exactly. on the conspiracy theory train for this one about St. Louis. What do we think? Oh, I'm I'm all up on this conspiracy train. No, I mean, I really I can't believe I can't believe this keeps happening. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> I, I I truly don't understand. I've waffled back and forth between this is pure luck to oh, there's there's something to how St. Louis plays, forcing mistakes, and I'm still in that camp. But I mean, come on, there's no style. There's no style in MLS that will force teams to pass the ball straight to you this often. Like in the moment in this game where I believe it's Justin Glad who passes the ball backwards. Maybe it's Ruiz. I actually, might be uh, might be Pablo Ruiz who passes the ball directly back to Joao Klaus. St. Louis City aren't pressing. Like, they're in a, a maybe like an upper sort of mid-block, but they're not engaged. Like, Klaus is just kind of doing his thing up there, and the ball comes right at his feet as he's, run, as he's starting to run forward. It, it doesn't make sense. I do not understand how this keeps happening. That said, with the idea that St. Louis are, are getting a bit fortunate— that said, they were the better team in this game. Like, they they are a good team at this point. Like, that sort of was my realization watching them this week, even though, you know, there's still a lot of weirdness going on with these games. Like, they're a legitimate, strong force in Major League Soccer right now, which I didn't expect. I am fully ready to eat crow. Like, I was dead wrong about this team. Klaus is very, very good. Lovin is very, very good. The pieces around them appear to be capable in this pressing team. Like, I, they're not going to stay perfect forever. You know, we're, we're going to see a drop-off eventually. But, like... 15 points to start the year. They're the only team that's perfect in MLS right now. They they could conceivably be a top five team in the Western Conference. Like I, I'm yeah. I'm completely shocked by everything that's happened here. I thought this was going to be the weekend that things sort of came back to reality, and they scored four goals away from home in a brutal looking uh, atmosphere at RSL. Like I don't. It's wild. It's fully wild at this point. Yeah, it did feel like RSL kind of gave up after the first couple goals. Uh, For me, what I keep going back to is, this is a reference everyone will remember, when Steve Spurrier took over the Washington football team and ran up the score in preseason because it was all about making a statement and showing everybody how good they were going to be. And then he played those teams in the regular season and they all annihilated Washington because they were so annoyed by how things had gone. I I still have that feeling that this is basically... 
St. Louis being in mid-season form and having a game plan that they know how to execute, except at the beginning of the season when everybody else is a little bit rusty, not quite there. But I think they're building up such momentum that even if teams are able to sort of turn it on and get into the form they need to be, I think they will still, St. Louis, be able to sort of weather some of that improved form from their opponents. I, I still think this is a team that are going places, and as long as they continue to execute as efficiently as they have... I don't see how, how they drop off all that much. Not to say that they're going to finish the season undefeated, certainly. They're going to lose some games. They're going to draw, drop some games. They're going to have some skids. But, but I still see this as a team that hit the ground running and don't seem like they're inclined to stop yeah. anytime soon. They, they've got Seattle away in two weeks. I think that's oh, that'll do it. Be that'll do it. A, yeah. That, yeah they, that, they might, that might stop them. Or alternatively, that if they get a result there, that might be the point where a lot of people start to think this is legit. Yeah, this is. I mean, I'm not going as far as like shield contenders, not yet anyway. But at that point, they would, I think they would be real, really up there in, in the table. I think that's a great game to spotlight. Going back to the Seattle game that I watched in person, I, I think. Watching Brian Schmetzer operate is fascinating because Peter Vermees, not surprisingly, is up on the touchline the entire game, screaming, gesturing, very high energy. Schmetzer, very, not low energy, but just very sort of calm. I felt like when he would come out, he would relay instructions, but it, it felt very to the point, and then he went back and sat down, but he made adjustments very quickly. It was pretty obvious that Sporting KC were trying to make the field as wide as possible and hit these big switches. Seattle were a bit more narrow, and... After uh, Sporting KC scored, he has Christian Roldan set up much wider. He takes a much wider starting position for a fullback, uh, and he and he has midfielders kind of fill the space in between and just made little smart adjustments that completely nullified what uh, Kansas City wanted to do and allowed Seattle to play their game very effectively. So I think having a veteran manager who can get his team to make those type of changes is the type of thing that will be a problem for St. Louis that they haven't really faced so far. I think that is a fascinating game and definitely one to keep an eye on. I just want to, I just want to add one more thing. Like I, I don't want us to, I don't want us to trend like downward into negativity of like, this team's going to fall off. It's going to happen. Like just wait for it. I just want to say like, congrats to you, St. Louis city fans. Like this has got to be so much fun. And I, I, I genuinely, I'm pulling for you in every game now because this is all so insane to me. I've enjoyed watching this team play more than all but a couple other teams in this league. They're playing energetic, entertaining soccer. Your players are fun to watch. Like everything about this is incredible. I am I'm enjoying it a ton. Again, I was dead wrong about a bunch of stuff coming into this year. Happy to admit that and like I don't I don't want to be preying on this downfall. I want I want us to continue to see this train ride. Like I am I'm stoked for what's to come. It's very exciting times for St. Louis as you say. Joe, I've got a theory about where they might stumble. Uh, it's going to be when another MLS team invites Lutz van der Steel, the sporting director, to go skiing. We've learned something this season. <laughs> Germans who go skiing, things go badly for them. See Memor Neuer, who obviously broke his leg skiing. See Julian Nagelsmann, who lost his job while skiing, we have learned. Lutz just needs to get invited to Aspen or something, and then that's how we change things for St. Louis. Not that we want that to happen. I hear you, but at the same time, like we've seen Lutz do color commentary for Bundesliga games like on the day that St. Louis is playing or close to it. So for all you know, he'd go skiing, he'd pick up his phone really quickly. The other GM would be like, what are you up to? He'd be like, oh, I just signed your best player. No big deal. Like <laughs> I, I fully trust Lutz to be able to do nine things at once, including skiing. So much 10.99 income from Lutz. I love it so much. <laughs> uh, also, RSL um, with the yellow lines on the field. Deserve to lose for that alone, in my opinion. Uh, let's move on to Columbus 6, Atlanta 1. Joe Atlanta had five players missing for the international break. Makes me ask, why does this league play during the international break? 
Yep. Uh, Apple, I guess, and MLS just doesn't really really care. I mean, I think that's part of it, right? I, I, from things that I've read, The Athletic had like, a piece I like how this. you passed the buck onto Apple yeah. there and Ryan was don't immediately, his back was up, don't you dare question <laughs> Tim Apple. I don't have an Apple watch on, at least, so it's only my phone and computer that are listening Take to me. Take that fruit name me. out of your mouth. <laughs> it's, it's not a good look, though, for the league at this point. Uh, th- there's a lot of different issues with Major League Soccer to the point where you kind of have to pick and choose, and I guess this is a battle that MLS wasn't ready or willing to fight. Though it, it is clear that we're seeing the league move into a place where these breaks are more and more detrimental to them, right? Like where the games mean less and less. Atlanta United missing Thiago Almada, who's been the star of the show so far this year in all of Major League Soccer. He's going out and scoring goals with Argentina. That wasn't a problem before. So it, it's sort of MLS, I think, needing to come to reality that, hey, maybe it's time to make the season. I know the weather is a problem. Maybe it's time to make the season a little bit longer so that you don't have to deal with all this stuff. We'll see teams play through fewer of these international breaks as the year goes on but like it's to the point Ryan where we have a 6-0 win 6-1 excuse me win for Columbus I'm I'm not really willing to take anything from this game like Columbus are missing missing Cucho Hernandez to injury they're missing Zellerian who's out on international duty with Armenia Atlanta United are missing Almada and several other players as well like this is I just don't really know what we can take from this game does anybody really think the crew are five goals better than Atlanta I I don't right nobody nobody actually believes that Columbus crew fans did some impressive might, stuff in this might. game and 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 they dominated this match but like it's it's not it's not this lopsided so yeah it's it's tricky to read into some of these results I mean a lot of them we can take stuff from but I'm I'm not willing to do much of anything with this Columbus game Joe what results uh, should we take stock in what should we kind of put faith in and should we be talking about the Galaxy as being maybe not quite as good yep. as some people on the show might have thought. Yeah, the Galaxy suck. I was wrong about them. I was like a thousand percent wrong. I'm fully, fully prepared to admit that. I mean, they go out against Portland. It's the first game. It's the one that's on Fox or FS1. I I watched it on Apple TV, so I don't know where it was. But like, this was a horrific game. This was an absolutely terrible match. Both teams not really get Get them. Not really missing a bunch of players for international (laughs) duty. Uh, The Timbers are still dealing with a bunch of injuries, so they're not in their full form. The Galaxy had mostly everyone in this game with the exception of Jovalich and Chicharito but I thought that's Preston, quite a big exception though to it, be it fair, is for it them. is it is grand but like they've had these players for the first few weeks and we're still not seeing the returns like there's a clear gap for me in how the galaxy attack that that's missing it's it's the link piece between Ricky Puj who's phenomenal and is playing very very well right now it's the link between Puj and the number nine like every time Puj goes and progresses the ball almost single-handedly into the final third and then he passes it off to a winger to Efra Alvarez or Tyler Boyd in this game, and they take eight touches, dribble into a defender, and, and things are things are done. Like I, I'm not even trying to be hyperbolic so, here. Like uh, I thought about Tyler Boyd spending, <laughs> I thought about spending the time. Yeah, hundred percent. I thought about spending the time to go and like make a compilation of this and realize I would rather do anything else with my weekend. <laughs> but like there's instance after instance after instance of this happening to the Galaxy against a Portland team that is really bad like their their Portland is not good and there's so many issues with the Galaxy if they can't go out there and show a whole lot against this Portland team so that then leads me to question what was working in the kind of final third of last season where Ricky Puj comes into that team Chicharito is fit and that was the main thing that led me to 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 suggest that the Galaxy might be a force this season is that connection between Ricky Puj and and Chicharito so uh, yes Chicharito um is is missing through injury at the moment possibly playing as the mass footballer in PK's Kings League right now but you're saying that it's the link 
piece that is missing rather than kind of the number nine. Why wasn't that the case last season? What what's changed is my question, basically. Yeah, I think the Galaxy were were probably good, but not great last season in some of those moments. Part of the part of the issue, I think, is the fullbacks haven't been as dynamic this year. So the right back situation's been a bit of a mess since Araujo left for Barcelona, and they they are replacing that. Um, we we've seen debuts in that spot now, which is good. But between that, the center backs being another year older, which just generally makes this team look a little rusty. Now we're seeing Jalen Neal, who's a teenager, kind of pop in, and I think he's developing. But there's some issues there. And then the wingers are are different, right? You think back to their their playoff win against Nashville last season. It was Douglas Costa and Samuel Grancier, who I'm not saying are, are particularly good players at this point, but they're seemingly more capable than this current batch. So I, I don't know if if it is like that incremental drop-off at the winger position or if it's some of the other pieces that I mentioned, the fullbacks not being as dynamic, the centerbacks being a little bit older, or in Neil's case, a lot younger, or if it's just going to take time for this team to gel, or if it's an opposing defenses now realize how good Ricky Pooja is, and maybe they were a bit arrogant last year where thinking, you know, we don't we don't really need to worry about him that much. You know, maybe those things sort of add together to create teams playing a little bit better against the Galaxy. But genuinely, Winger was a problem last year. It's a problem this year, and it's holding this team back as long as Greg Venny wants to play with one number nine. Joe, I appreciate all of that analysis. And I would like to add, I did not bring this up just to, like, call you out for where you thought the Galaxy would be. I deserve it. I deserve it, Taylor. Well, fair. But what I would like to point out is my 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 standing belief that if teams want to be able to laminate and and sort of call people out at the end of the season for being like, ah, you said we'd be 13th, but we finished fourth. I, I do think the opposite should be true. And I think the Galaxy <laughs> should have to laminate your prediction and be like, ha ha, you yes. thought we'd be good. We are atrocious in your face, Joe Lowry, <laughs> for having faith in us. Uh, Graham, Joe had faith in the Galaxy to be good. Uh, how much faith should we have in the Galaxy or Portland uh, to get their jersey situation right? Joe, it sounds like Ugh. neither of those are good. I want to hear Graham's rants about them. Well, I have no faith at all after the weekend with uh, the the Galaxy wearing pine green at Providence Park, which just should not be allowed to happen. It's like an away team wearing all white at the Bernabeu or or something like that. I understand that MLS teams want to show off their cool new jerseys. And I I had sympathy on like the first couple weeks of the season after those jerseys were released because I did. This has happened before. Not so much with pine green being worn at Providence Park, but I think Philly have worn their away shirt. Um, I know they were in their home shirt, actually, at the weekend there, but they've worn their, their away shirt at home this season. And I had sympathy for that, for that early in the season. But no, it's got, this has gone on too long. You wear your home shirt at home and your away shirt away from home. Graham, while we're on this topic, uh, a question that I have recently struggled with. Okay, is if you're wearing the shirt, can it be a jersey, a shirt, or a kit? Or does kit imply the entire uniform, or would that be when you are full kit? Like, what would be the appropriate <laughs> thing in the UK? If you get the new Galaxy shirt, jersey, kit, what would it be if you just get the uh, the top part of the uniform? So if it's just the top, I would always say shirt. But you okay. guys are, have... Uh... Are infecting me with the word jersey. Okay. So occasionally I will say jersey. Kit is the whole thing, um, and so is uniform in my yeah. in my book. So add, I would never really say uniform to be honest. With that, to add to the, the confusion, I would say kit also is, can be used just for the shirt. But in the UK, you you wouldn't say the word jersey at all. You wouldn't. Well, I, I, uniform is the one you never hear yeah. in in the UK. Jersey occasionally, like I noticed that in the papers at the weekend, jersey was was. Was it talking about the, the uh, Ronaldo tax haven off the coast of the UK instead of the garment, though, Graham? <laughs> but so if yeah, you're, indeed, maybe that was it. If you're wearing the kit, you're wearing the shirt. If you're kitted out, is that wearing the shirt and the shorts? Oh, man. 
I don't know. This is see. This, this is, is where I get confused. I, don't, I never know quite what to call it without getting yelled at by English people. Just don't worry about it, Taylor. I think it's Fair. the uh, way to get past this yeah. one because it's confusing. We've been getting yelled at by English people for centuries. Just ignore them. All right, that's fair. Yeah. Any other LS games, Joe, to talk about? LAFC, maybe with a 2-1 win over Dallas. I had three um, betting Emporium visits this weekend, and this one I bet over three and a half goals, and there was a missed nice. penalty. I was annoyed yep. with that. Yep. I can understand that. You should be annoyed. <laughs> the, the, the real story from this game, and it's one of the stories of the season so far, I think, is Dennis Bowanga scoring a game winner for LAFC. And the crazy day that he had to get there. So Dennis Bonga had been on international duty with Gabon. They had a game, I believe, against Sudan that they won 1-0 on Thursday. He takes a 13-hour flight from Turkey to get to L.A. He gets to L.A. at 5.30. People didn't even think he was going to be available for this game at all because the international break. He gets to L.A. at 5.30. This is from Justin Ruderman on uh, on Twitter, by the way. It was he was at LAX for 15 hours. Right, he was at LAX yeah. for 15 hours. Now it's Sunday. He has to go and rewind the clock. No, so he gets to L.A. <laughs> at 5.30-ish. He arrives at the stadium at 6.46 p.m. The game started, I believe, at 7.30. I don't know when the, the timeline is here. But then he comes off the bench and scores in the 84th minute after not even people thinking he was going to be available for this game. You just don't see this kind of thing very often. Like, he came out after the match and said, basically, we have ambition. Like, we, we want to be doing stuff this year. And he wants to be a part of that. And if I'm an LAFC fan, first of all, that's music to my ears. If I'm anyone else in Major League Soccer, I am terrified of LAFC right now. They have the buy-in where your players are taking long flights to get back in time for your match in week five of the MLS season, where we know, I mean, we all know that these games don't matter as much as the, the playoff games will. Like, this is this is next-level stuff from LAFC. This stuff does not happen very often at all in Major League Soccer. They've got some buy-in, they've got some talent, and this is a good win for them against Dallas. Very good indeed. Uh, we are running long, but a couple more things we need to get to, uh, including, Graham, the return of NWSL. Any standout moments there for you uh, besides or maybe including lovely kits? So NWSL Jersey's, kits shirts, are fantastic kits. this this season. Um, the, the Gotham FC, very, oh, they didn't wear the, the one that I particularly like in their opening uh, game uh, against Angel City. But their kits are very nice. A very nice goal in this game as well. A winner by Lynn Williams, which was an unusual finish. I mean, she strikes it completely straight despite the ball coming across her body when it's played to her. And it's it's not often you see a goal that makes you wonder if you've ever seen another goal like it. But it was it was something. A very good finish. Just, just very unusual. And then the kind of big blockbuster moment, for me anyway, watching this uh, the opening weekend as a little bit of an outsider, was Trinity Rodman's goal for the Washington, Washington Spirit, which was just special she she strides into the open field unleashes it into the bottom corner of the net we already know obviously that she's special but that that was just a great moment and it's not just the shot either it's the way that she gets turned on the right wing to open up the space so yeah two two magnificent goals there for you yeah and I'll, I'll run through a few other things quickly both some results and some goals North Carolina played the first game of the season so they kicked off first against the Kansas City Current who are dealing with a number of injury and absences right now, Kansas City, after a, a, what's been regarded by many, myself included, as a really good offseason. Signing Dabinia, strengthening in midfield, uh, drafting Michelle Cooper up front. Uh, it, it looks like a strong Kansas City team. North Carolina, folks, myself included, are pretty low on. And the Courage come out and get a 1-0 win, which is a big result for them to start the year. They get an early goal, eh, 23rd minute, and then they hang on for the rest of that stretch. San Diego... Wave getting a 3-2 win while breaking the NWSL attendance record, 30,000 plus, 
in San Diego, where in general, the NWSL broke their league average attendance record for week one, over 15,000 fans on average at these games, which is absolutely fantastic. San Diego are leading that pack right now. And there's a lot of good goals from the weekend. You mentioned two of them, Lynn Williams won. Trinity Robbins' goal for the Spirit was fantastic coming in from the right side. One that's gone underrated is Jaden Shaw, who is a player that, if you guys don't know, you will start to know very, very soon. She's 18 years old, U.S. eligible, U.S. Youth International, started to get on the scene for San Diego last season, and is the real deal. Her physical profile, her technical ability, her athleticism, like she is an elite attacking talent, and she might turn into something more than a talent this year. She might just be an elite NWSL player. She's that good. She scores a goal, a really nice finish, I believe, from outside the top of the box. San Diego get a 3-2 win there. The only other game that I'll highlight besides Portland just continuing to look really, really good and like a, a trophy favorite is Angel City, who lost to Gotham Graham. The other goal from that game that people were going crazy about on Twitter is Alyssa Thompson, who is a player that's been in the U.S. Women's National Team setup. She's a young attacking player, mostly plays on the wing, 18 years old, a fantastic story, and she scored an absolute banger in this game with the right foot from outside the top of the box. Like There were so many good goals and so many moments that make me genuinely excited for the future of this league, the future of a lot of these teams, and like the young players in the U.S. women's national team as well. Like, I would be surprised if we see Thompson at the World Cup. We won't see Jaden Shaw at the World Cup, but like we're going to start to see these players sooner rather than yeah. later, and they are the real deal. I've just seen the Jaden Shaw goal. It's good. It's not just the strike, the touch as well to bring it's it down really good. instantly on the edge of the box and then set herself for the shot immediately. Ah. Uh, that might actually be the most aesthetically pleasing goal of opening weekend, I have yeah. to say, Joe. Yeah, crazy. Very good. Uh, Gotham with the away win there, presumably because Bain blew up their stadium a few years back. Still <laughs> working on building that again. Film reference for you, Joe. You'll love it when you see it. Uh, we are running long. We do need to quickly touch on the managerial situations that have evolved over the past few days. A conversation I suspect we should continue on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Show. But for now, Taylor, the thing has happened we thought would happen. Antonio Conte has said his goodbyes to Tottenham Hotspur, apparently leaving the UK a few days ago on a Ryanair flight, which is uh, uh, Europe's Frontier Airlines, which was surprising. It was. It was. Also surprising it took this long. It felt like a thing. Once he went to town on Tottenham and their organization, their structure, their signings, everything about the club, their mentality, uh, I compared it to George Costanza on Seinfeld. And I guess he, he stopped short. I don't want to make the cheap comment about how like George dragged the World Series trophy behind his car and maybe there weren't as many trophies for Conte to drag around. That feels too easy. But it does feel like maybe he would. I don't know what the ultimate step would have been. Uh, like I guess be just benching Harry Kane probably would have been enough. But it, it's surprising to me that it took this long. He clearly did not want to be there anymore. It was not the right fit anymore. Uh, and I think now with Nagelsmann being potentially available, that seems like a smart hire for Spurs that they can back a young manager to do what he wants and sort of play his style. Uh, and they'll totally back him all the way until he gets frustrated and they don't. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But I think Nagelsmann to Spurs makes more sense, in my opinion, than Nagelsmann to, say, Real Madrid, another club he is linked with. Ryan, the most interesting thing about that that video or picture or whatever it was of him on the Ryanair flight was he was watching something on his iPad yeah. and it was completely fascinating to me. What was he watching? I want to know what Antonio Conte watches on his iPad. Was it was it Ted Lasso? Um, you get no. these videos on on. No, it wasn't. But that's why it, no, it was absolutely almost what certainly wasn't. But 
that would be interesting if it was. <laughs> like, uh, you get these videos on YouTube, on YouTube. I'm kind of fascinated by them where you get like a big hydraulic press and then put items beneath the hydraulic press to yes. see how they explode. Yes. That feels like the sort of thing Antonio Conte yeah. would watch on his on his iPad. <laughs> it would be like the, the show where you have two different historical warriors like fighting against each other or it would be <laughs> like lion fights crocodile or something like that. I feel like those are the things that Antonio Conte watches for and pleasure. And then does laps. Yes, yes. Oh. Bless him. Well, he's certainly enjoyed his budget flight back to Italy with his tablet. Uh, Yuli Nagelsmann. Um, Graham, do, do we feel... Can I ask one is- more question? Sorry to interrupt you, Ryan, but the Ryanair thing is genuinely confusing because f- for people who have never flown that one, not the highest quality of airline. Do we think that was just that that was the first thing that was available? Yeah, that was the yeah, easiest yes. flight for him to get? Okay, I, that makes yeah, sense. That. Also, the, the context here is like from the UK to Italy, Ryanair just has like a complete monopoly. Okay. I don't think there's actually many other options Understood. for him. So yeah, that's probably the reason. Uh, gotcha. Yeah, although I fly regularly between London and Italy and I I've only used that airline once because they are the worst. Um, there's another orange uh, colored uh, uh, low budget airline, which I would prefer, which we're not here to advertise. That's going to hurt uh, the, uh, the the Ryanair sponsor that's coming in. Oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, my last question, Graham. Nagelsmann looking at the precipice of joining Tottenham. Is he thinking, this is the kind of project I want to be involved in? <laughs> <laughs> stay away, <laughs> stay away. Um, no, I'm, I'm only saying that in jest because I do think there is a decent opportunity at Spurs to rebuild something over a number of years. I, it feels like, and a lot of the journalists are much closer to this subject than I, have said that there is sort of a desire from Spurs to reset that squad and maybe going to someone like Pochettino, they'll give him two or three years to build that squad up and so that would also be appealing to Julian Nagelsmann. And, and what is a big, a big Premier League job? You know, Harry Kane, one of the best strikers in the world at the moment as well would make that attractive but if it's a choice between Real Madrid and Tottenham Hotspur and it feels like Pochettino and Nagelsmann that I think that um, both of those managers will end up in those two jobs it's just maybe Spurs might have to wait until Real Madrid make their pick and then get the second choice I just I just think for the stories that have come out about Nagelsmann at Bayern it does sort of end up feeling to some extent like Nuno getting hired by Spurs, that it was the manager that they they went with that seemed like it could work. And with Nagelsmann, he's younger, he's had success, there are reasons to put him in there. But everything that's come out makes it sound like no one really liked his style. Uh, the questions about, like, should he be riding a skateboard and riding a motorcycle? I like him either. And, yeah, and it, and, it just seems, and it just seems like he wasn't the guy that they wanted to sort of get that locker room on board and bring through young players, but maybe move some older players on. It felt like he was sort of not doing Bayern things the way Bayern wanted. So they wanted somebody who could come in and be almost Carlo Ancelotti is what it sounds like they're kind of looking for as a person who will play their style, their way, kind of go with the players that are brought in by the board, make them all fit together, playing the sort of Bayern 4-2-3-1 and away we go. That doesn't seem like it's been Nagelsmann or it hasn't been Nagelsmann, who's I think very much wanted to do his own thing i'm not surprised that he was sacked for going skiing because he strikes me as a guy who's like nope i have scheduled my vacation i am taking my vacation i have done my job i will take my break uh, and i don't see that mentality working well at real madrid i don't see him going in there getting them to play a wholly different way or like his entire way and it being about his style of, of management spurs just feel like an opportunity for him to do that where they need someone to come in with a vision and sort of get people on board that feels yeah. like a better fit to me. That's why I say I think Tottenham makes more sense for him. Real Madrid could work, and it could be a great success. It could also be he's there for six months, and then they bring in somebody else. 
And and of course, uh, Tommy Tuchel, the the man mm. that Bayern Munich have hired as Nagelsmann's replacement, and famously never falls out with boards no. and is not a disruptive <laughs> influence at all. And fa- and from what I read, was also less interested in the job the first time round because there was a feeling that he could not move on certain senior players who. Uh, a couple of at least of whom are still there and still have a lot of control of that locker room and control of that club. So I think it's it's going to be another interesting wrinkle for Bayern Munich. I, I don't think that that decision needed to be made the way yeah. they are trying to kind of hype that it had to be made. And a lot of the spin is is making it seem like it was this sort of disaster, even as those same articles are like, but, you know, they were winning and they were OK, but it was not working at all. And it was a clash of philosophies and it was OK, but it wasn't OK. It's just it feels conflicted yeah. because I feel like there's not that sort of very obvious reason he needed to go. Tuchel's first day as Bayern Munich boss, he's just going to call Müller and Neuer into his office. No words spoken. He's just going to hand them skis in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> Off you go. <laughs> it, it is wild to think, by the way, that the touchline handshake fight between Conte and Tuchel was this season. I know. I it was this that. season. It feels like it was a million years ago. We've had a World Cup. We've had a PK Kings Twitch League. <laughs> championship since then so much so much time has passed and plenty of time has passed in this weekend review it is time to wrap it up taylor rockwell welcome back from kansas and thank Thank you you very much it's good to be back it's good to have you joe lowry pleasure as always my good sir right back at you ryan and graham rutherford keep on trucking baby you too ryan bailey listener thank you very much for joining us on this one we'll be back on the feed very shortly but for now bye. bye 